Hey, good morning, Restoration Church. Man, dude, I just love that intro. I get emotional every single week that that thing comes on. Like, it's, it hits me in such like a deep place. Because I remember being in high school when I first got my license. My, my mom did that for me every single day. Anytime I was out, every time I was gone, I knew the moment I was driving home, there was going to be a light. There would be one light on on our road, and it would be the porch light of my house. And even to this day... When my mother knows I'm coming home, when she knows me and my wife are driving our way back to Vermont, I know that that day in particular, when I pull up at 11 o'clock at night, if I'm coming in late, and there's going to be a light on at my house waiting for me to come back. Man, it's just every week, every week, I'm like surprised how emotional I get when that plays because, man, it just hits me in a place. And I just think it sets up the series that we've been in, Prodigal God, so well. And this idea of, man, you are never too far away to come back where God is and where your home is meant to be. And so I'm so excited today to be preaching with you as we talk through this series. And so we've been spending a lot of time in just this story of what's called the prodigal son. And so I'm going to give you a little recap of what we've gone over, of the story that we're reading, and, and all of that really quick, because we, we just thought, and, and Pastor Nate told us that he just felt that we were going to spend a lot of time in this story and in this scripture because, man, there's lessons in here that we can all take away that are powerful, that are life-changing, that, that can transform who you are from the inside out. And today, I think there's an opportunity for us to do that to here. Uh, there's an opportunity for us to do that with the message I have. But I'm going to be honest with you, man, uh, I'm going to ask you to commit to something with me here today. Man, today I'm going to ask you to commit to being uncomfortable. Because right today, we're going to be looking at ourselves in a way maybe you never have before. And without you guys being honest and transparent with yourself as you're sitting here listening to what I'm saying, you're not going to get the fullness of what God has for you. So let's make a commitment not to be comfortable because I don't think that's what God has called us to do. That's not what we're supposed to do as a church. Man, a lot of what we need to do is be uncomfortable in order to grow into who we're meant to be, all right? So make that commitment with me here today. Be ready to look at yourself. Be ready to have your view changed. And so we're kind of in this story. So this is the story of the prodigal son. And so essentially the Cliff Notes version of what happens is there's a son and he goes before his father and and he says to his father, "Um, I want my inheritance. I don't want anything to do with the family anymore. I'm going to go live my own life. And so he takes his father's inheritance, takes the money, goes and squanders it on parties, on prostitutes, on all of these things, and and finds himself broke. When he's broke, he says, you know what? I'm going to go home. Uh, I'm going to tell my father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I'm so sorry. And and I'm going to be a servant in his household. I'm not even going to expect to be his son. I'm just going to live as a servant in his house. And so he gets home and he's shocked to find out That instead of greeting him with anger, with being upset, his father greets him with excitement. And then as the story goes on, this is where it gets really powerful. And this is what I write down every week and and I'm constantly reminding myself of because this is the important thing that I want you to take away from this series. And I know Pastor Nate wants you to take away from this series is this isn't a story of one lost son. It's a story of two lost sons. And so we find that the father throws a party for his son and then we come and we meet and we are introduced to the second son. And so we're going to read a scripture that talks about the second son, and this is what we're going to be focusing on today. We're really going to focus on this second son, not so much the first. And so we're going to be in Luke 15, 25 through 32. And so uh, as you're turning there, just remember this is where we're at. The father has thrown a party for his son who was lost, who had been gone for years, who had come home and has readopted him into the family. 
And this is where we find the second son, and we, we, we're, we're introduced to the fact that this is a younger son, and so here is his older brother, and this is his reaction to finding out that his little brother had come home. It says, uh, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he'd heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So this is, this is, that's an important key moment. His older brother was angry. And so that's, that's what we're going to focus on. It is instantly, his heart is not joyful, but there's, there's, there's anger in that. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, and I think the wording is so important here because it doesn't say when my brother, he says when this son of yours comes back, refusing to acknowledge his brother, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So if we remember, this is the story of two lost sons. One who was lost because he went to live his own life, but the other who was lost because he didn't really love his father. And this is what I want, this is the first thing, you know, this is like, before I even get into the whole sermon, I, I want you to understand this. The reason he's lost is because proximity does not mean relationship. Proximity does not mean relationship. He may have been around his father for his entire life, but he was never in relationship to his father for his entire life. And this is, this is a fact I have to be reminded of, and I want you to be reminded of. I am constantly reminded of this by my wife when she says things like, hey, I want to go on a date. We haven't hung out. I'm like, what do you mean? We hung out. We hung out like three nights this week. And she's like, no, we sat in the same room watching different TV shows and our toes happened to be touching. That does not count as spending time together because here's the reality. Proximity does not equal relationship. We can't count that as something that's going on within us. We have to count that as, man, we were around each other, but we weren't in relationship to each other. So remember, remember that as we get into this story, as we get into what's going on, proximity does not equal relationship. And that's not even uh, my first point, and you could already take that all week. So if you get nothing else, just remember that. But we're going to get into this, and man, I just want, to, um, I just want to, to lead with that because it's so important, and it's something that'll change your life if you think about it that way. Um, but if you've been around me at all for the past couple weeks, it feels like I've been, this is all that's been dominating my life. And so I'm not saying this to brag or anything like that, but I recently decided that I was going to start getting in shape, all right? And it's been, it's been a journey. My prayer life is great because when I run, um, I'm praying, God, I don't think I can do this. Please help me. So it's really good spiritually for me, emotionally, not so much. But, but I've decided that, that I'm going to get in shape. And it's been really, you know, surprisingly difficult. And so for my whole life, I, I've never been the most athletic person 
in the world. My siblings all got those genes and all played sports. Me, I just kind of did my own thing. But I've always been at least semi-physically active. So when I was in high school, um, I was a skier, I was a swimmer, I was a lifeguard. So I did all these things that kind of kept me in shape a little bit. And then when I went to college, uh, I started working out there. And so um, I would work out with my friends. And so I always had like this kind of uh, base level of just athleticism, where I was like, all right, I can do some, I can do, I, I, can, I can carry myself reasonably well. Well, maybe over this past year, you know, even once I came back from college, I was still kind of okay, and then when I moved, to, moved out here to New Hampshire, I had a job that kept me on my feet a lot, but lately I've been kind of like just stagnant, where I, where I don't do much, I just sit around a lot. And so, I decided I'm going to go for a run. It's been, it's been festering in my head. I need to be in better shape. I got to do more things. All right, I'm going to go for a run. So I said to myself, I'm going to run two miles. I was like, I know, you know, I know I'm out of shape, but I can run at least a mile without stopping. And I'm, so I'm like, all right, here we go. So I'm like getting out. I'm on my road. I start running man, at like three quarters of a mile. I had to stop, and I couldn't even walk. I was so out of shape. Listen, I, that was my moment. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I am so out of shape. I'm way worse off than I thought. And my message today might make you feel that way. I'm a little worse off than I thought. But let me promise you, in the moment where you have honest reflection, that's where you can begin to take honest steps forward. All right? So, uh, so that's where we're at today. So this is what I want us to think about. I think a lot of us are the older brother in this story, and we don't even realize it. A lot of us are the older brother in this story, and we don't even realize it. We are stuck in a mentality that is broken, and our heart is messed up. And here's the thing that, that I can say, and, and, and this is the really scary part of this story. I think it's harder to stop being the older brother than it is to stop being the younger brother. The younger brother who came back and said, I'm sorry, Dad, I'll do anything for you. And it's easier to be that person and to, and to take those steps than it is to step out of becoming, of finding yourself as the older brother with an angry and self-righteous heart. And I know this for two reasons. One of the reasons is this story doesn't include a happy ending for that brother. The story ends in the moment with the father pleading for him to come in. It does, never says if he does or if he doesn't. And then the second thing that tells me this is if you look at the people who followed Jesus and who decided that they were going to worship him and, and, and be a part of his life, it was very rarely a religious person with a self-righteous heart like this older brother. Very rarely. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and I love it. He said, prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. The proud the avaricious, the self-righteous, they are in that danger. Here's the reality. It is so much harder to step out of being that self-righteous brother. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, well, luckily that's not something I struggle with. Well, let me tell you this. I know that you do because I guarantee you've uttered these words at some point in your life in some form or another because I know I have. If you've ever said something along the lines of, I would never do that. I would never talk to my kids that way. I would never let my spouse and I's relationship devolve into that. I would never act that way at work. I would never, I would never, I would never. Here's the reality. I know you've said it because I've said it myself. And we find ourselves as the older brother and we don't even know it. 
It's a terrifying realization. It's a terrifying moment when you come to that place where you realize, man, I say I would never a lot. And it means there's something going on in my heart that I need to be aware of. I would never. And so for us, as we begin to think about this and we begin to understand what it means to be the older brother that some of us might be, we have to start to realize that we need to come to a place of repentance just like the younger brother already has. And so repentance is kind of like a, a big word that, that doesn't get tossed around unless you've been in the church world for a while. And so I, I want to help you understand what it means. It's not just saying sorry for things you've done. Repentance is not just apologizing. It's not just, you know, saying that, that you know, you made a mistake. Repentance it kind of comes with this idea, and it's explained this way. Repentance is complete and utter surrender to the sovereignty of God with a 180-degree change in the very action that got you there in the first place. So the reality is when you truly come before God and repent, it's not just you apologizing for your actions, it's you apologizing for the heart of the action that got you there. You have to understand that the actions you took, the things you did, are a reflection of a deeper sickness that's going on within you. And so if you think about it this way, if we jump back like a second to the story of the younger brother, before he comes home, he says this. He says, I'm going to go before my father, and I'm going to say, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against our house, and, I, and I'm, so I'm sorry. What he's saying is he didn't come home and apologize like in line item, say, I'm sorry for um, this party I went to. I'm sorry for this drink I had. I'm sorry for this woman I saw. I'm sorry for this. No, no, no. He said, uh, what, what's really going on with me is there's something going on in my heart that's caused me to to do these things that are leaving me in a terrible situation. So he's not apologizing for actions. He's apologizing for the heart that led him into those actions in the first place. And so that's where we define ourselves. And so, so here, here's the thing that's, that's so interesting, and this is what I really want us to get, get down. So, I, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my running, but when I started running, um, I got really committed way too fast, and I started messing up my body. So like all of a sudden I'm having knee pain and I'm having like my Achilles tendon is hurting and it's like, uh, and so like, I mean, I was in like agony. Like I, I did something to my Achilles tendon because I was running a lot and, and you know, when you don't run for like, you know, years, it, it, it's not easy to, to all of a sudden get up and be like, well, now I'm running four miles a day. Your body's not ready for that. And so I was in pain. And so I had two options in that moment. One, I could have said, oh man, I probably should stop running because clearly it's having bad results. But the reality was my knee pain, my Achilles tendon pain was not symptoms of the action of running that I was taking. It was the symptoms of an unhealthy heart and an unhealthy lifestyle. And that's the exact same thing that we have to come to when we find ourselves needing repentance is, man, the things I'm doing, the decisions I'm making are not um, an outpouring of, of, or, uh, of these, these wrong things. It's not a list of things that I, if I don't do, I'm good. It's a problem because my heart has put me in an unhealthy place. And this is where it gets really interesting. If we look at all the things the older brother was doing, he was doing everything right. He says, I've never once not done something you told me to do. I'm following all the rules. I'm checking off all the items. And here's something that I want you to take away, and I want you to get in your heart, and I want you to walk out of here for, with. Some of you need to repent for doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. You've been doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. 
And that hits me hard because here's the reality, man. Some of us have decided, you know what, the reason I'm going to do this is because, man, I get to post it on Instagram, I get to post it on Facebook, I get to show my, my ex um, how much better I am than them, I get to show all my coworkers how much more amazing I am than them. Man, you're doing all the right things, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons, and that is just as bad. There's a sickness in the heart. So for me, as I try and get in shape, like if the motivation behind me deciding to make myself healthier is not I want to live a longer life, I want to be more energetic, I want to be a better father one day, it's, oh man, I can't wait till people tell me how good I look because I lost weight. That's a broken worldview. And that's exactly where the brother is. And so as I'm sitting here and I'm going to talk to those of you who have been in church for a while for a minute, some of you have been serving faithfully in the church for all of the wrong reasons for far too long. So here at Restoration, one of the most important things to us and and something that we say, man, this brings you closer to God. This puts you in better proximity to who he is, to people who um, who who are working towards knowing who God is more. One of the most important things you can do in your Christian walk as you begin to discover who Jesus is, is you begin to volunteer and serve in the church. Some of you are serving faithfully in the positions you're at because it's what you're supposed to do, not because it's what you want to do. And some of you have a mentality, and some of us, and listen, I'm not excusing myself from this because I'm right there with you. I've been there. I feel it. There are mornings, there are days, there are weeks when it's hard to get out of bed and and serve God in everything that I do every day. So so I'm empathizing with you, but instead of the way I guess I I would verbalize it is, man, you've got to come to a place where when you're talking to God and when you're looking at him, man, you are saying, man, God... I want to do this not because it's what I'm supposed to do, but it's because it's in service to you. It's because I love you. We have a relationship. We have an ability, and and it's so hard, and it can feel so messy because, man, you're you're feeling pain, and, and I'm right there with you. Like, you're feeling burnt out. You're feeling lost. You're feeling like, man, why do I keep coming to church all like, you know, it's hard. It's, it's, it makes my mornings harder. It makes my kids' lives miserable. I, I can just quit. I can just not do anything. You're feeling pain points. You're feeling stress, and here's an encouragement I want to give you. God is showing you pain points and now so that they don't become failure points in the future. And what do I mean by that? For me, my whole life had to change because I started having knee pain and Achilles tendon pain. Every morning I have to wake up and man, I stand in, you know, I'm standing there and I have to like do calf raises 30 times. I have to go stand on a stupid stair and flex my ankle. I have to do knee extensions three times a day. I'm, I'm constantly cha- I'm changing my habits because here's the reality. I know if I allow the pain points to define the health that I get to have in the future, I'm going to have nothing but an unhealthy future. And some of you are feeling burnt out and you're feeling lost and you're feeling confused and you're feeling like, I don't know why I'm serving. I don't know why I'm doing this. God is showing you pain points because he doesn't want you to burn out in the future. He's saying, this is a point you're struggling with because here's the reality. I have a healthier lifestyle for you. And without those warning signs, you know, you're, you're going to give out before you know it. So for me, you know, one of the things that I think about is there are stories of, um, of people who, who they don't experience pain. They have no ability to, um, to feel pain. It's like a rare genetic disorder that happens in a small fraction of the population. And a lot of us think like, oh man, that would be amazing. Like that'd be amazing to not feel physical pain. But when you hear the story of these people's lives, it's absolutely miserable. 
Like, they don't know, like, there's horror stories of, like, three-year-olds, four-year-olds putting their hands on, on stoves and it burning to the point that they have third-degree burns because they don't know they're hurting. They have to monitor the way that they walk because the reality is, like, when we feel pain when we walk, it tells us that we need to readjust our weight, our weight and the way that we're taking steps. They can't even do that, so they have to be taught how to walk properly because it feels pain. They have issues like going to the bathroom has to be scheduled for them because they don't feel an uncomfortable sensation when they have to go to the bathroom. Like, the reality is, man, pain is a way that God is preparing you for what he has yet to come. And so you're going to walk through moments in your life where you feel tension and you feel stress and you feel like, man, I feel like I'm... I'm burning out, I'm feeling this, but God is preparing you. He's getting you to change your habits so that you can be healthy one day. And you have two choices. You can say, you know what? I'm going to stop all the things that are causing me pain, or instead, I'm going to take a moment and readjust my lifestyle so that I can follow who he is and what he has for me. Man, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. You know, some of us we're in places where, man, we're doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. And it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's, and it's, and it's terrible, because it, it's like that moment where, you, you know, you might be sitting here, and you're thinking, you know what, I think that is a reality in my life. And you feel like me, that three-quarters of a mile, realizing I can't even run. I thought I was in better shape than I am. But here's the reality. There is hope, and I want to give you an encouragement as, as I go into our final point, and we talk about what does it mean to be a true older brother in the church and in this world? This is it. What does the true elder brother look like? Here's the thing. What's so interesting about this story and what we don't quite get is, is we don't understand kind of the role that an elder brother played in society back then. So when we find out that there's an older brother, we're kind of surprised. We, you know, their, their audience would be surprised. Because the older brother had a very important job in Jewish culture. And his job was to maintain and help family relationships stay healthy. The older brother, his, his job was, he, he, he kind of oversaw the whole household. If there was fighting or strife or disagreements between brothers, between sisters, between the fa fathers and sons, the older brother's job was to help fix and mend that relationship. That was, the, one of, that was one of the primary responsibilities he was charged with. So when we sit here and we see this older brother, the shocking thing is, it was his job he was supposed to be the one who was out finding the little brother. So that's why in this story, in the context of it, Jesus has set up by telling two previous stories about a lost thing. He talks about a lost coin and a lost sheep. All right, so he, he tells a story, there's a lost coin, and so, of course, someone goes and looks for the lost coin. There's a lost sheep, so a shepherd goes and looks for a lost coin. And he starts telling this third story, and he's saying, there's a lost son. Someone's supposed to go look for the lost son, but nobody does. And how messed up is that? And so all of a sudden we begin to see the older brother is not doing what he's supposed to. See, and here's where it gets really deep. He says, I've done everything you've ever told me to do. The father could have snapped back, yes, you did everything I ever told you to do, but how about the things I never said, but I really needed from you? He didn't need a son who followed the rules. He needed a son who went and looked for his lost brother. 
And how heartbreaking is it that we find ourselves in a place where all of a sudden we might not be looking for that little brother because we're stuck in a self-righteous mindset. Some of you are feeling burnt, you're feeling lost, you're feeling stretched. And this older brother would feel the same thing. But while you want to give out and give up, God is calling you to give even more. And that's hard to hear. But the reality is, God has a greater purpose for your life than just doing what he told you. He wants you to be a part of the family. And sometimes, that means being the one who's returning from being lost. And sometimes, it means being the one to go out and find the one who was lost. I want to conclude with this story and with this reality. Um, this, is some, this is an interesting story that, that, I found, um, that I found in, I don't even know how I found it. It was from a 1965 um, Time Magazine article. All right? And so it's the story of a man named uh, Lieutenant Daniel Dawson. And I'm amazed that this story has kind of slipped into the cracks of time. You can't even find the original Time Magazine article anymore because it's so old and it's so far back in, in um, out of print, and they don't even have it. But, but it's this incredible story. And so uh, during the Vietnam War, Army Lieutenant Daniel Dawson's um, reconnaissance plane went down over the Viet Cong jungle. All right? When his brother, Donald, heard the report, he, he lived in the States. He sold everything he had, left his wife with $20, bought passage to Vietnam. There he equipped himself with soldiers' gears and wandered through the guerrilla-controlled jungle looking for his brother. He carried leaflets picturing the plane and describing in Vietnamese the reward for the news of the missing pilot. He became known as and bear with me as I pronounce this, An Toi Phi Kong, or the brother of the pilot. A Life magazine reporter described his perilous search. And for me, like, I, you know, I was so upset because I, I couldn't find the news article. Like, I couldn't find the whole story. I couldn't find out everything about it. And I wanted to know because... Man, how mind-blowing is it that here's a man who, when he found out his brother's plane went down in the army, gave up everything to go search in Vietnam to find him. He left behind everything he owned, everything he had, his whole life, because he said, my little brother's lost and I'm not giving up until he comes home, until he's back where he's supposed to be. I mean, I guess the, the lesson we can take is, as it's lost to time, this incredible and powerful story, the reality is, for, uh, for Donald, he doesn't care if the story was told or not. He doesn't care if people knew that he went and looked for his brother. He doesn't care if, 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 if years later we're sitting here in 2019 and we don't know anything about his story. All he cared about was getting his brother to come home. And that's the mentality and the desire we have to put in our own hearts as we look in the mirror and realize, man, I'm way out, more out of shape than I thought. There are people 
who are far from God. There are people who don't know him. And God has put me in a position where I have an opportunity to go and restore the relationship all those who have been lost. But instead of taking that mentality, I say, no, my job is to come to church on Sunday. My job is to do this. My job is to do this. My job is to do this. But, but the reality is, man, God has called you to be the older brother that this story never describes. And when the Pharisees, who were the people Jesus was primarily talking to by telling this story, heard it, man, they were shocked. They couldn't believe it. There's no way God would operate that way. It's all about what I do. It's all about all the actions I've taken. It's all about me doing all the right things. It's all about me serving in the right way. But the reality is, no, it's not about that. It's about what's going on in your heart. Man, it's time for some of us here to get out of a proximity relationship with God and enter into a real relationship with Him. And when we have that mentality, when we have that understanding, man, we change our lives so that we can live the healthy life he has for us. We change our actions. We change our, our story. We change who we are. We change everything about us because we say, man, the brokenness in me, whether I'm living right or living wrong, is preventing me from being in relationship to him. And today we have the opportunity come forth and say that. Say, God, I want to be in relationship with you. And so I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it as carefully as I can, because I know all the volunteer leaders are going to be freaking out when I say this, but if you're serving in a role here at the church because you feel like you have to, you might as well just leave. And I know coffee spots, like, sitting here and like, no, we need people. Don't, don't, don't tell them that. But here's, here's what I want you to know. Listen, this church doesn't need more bodies filling roles. We need more people with burdens for people who don't know who God is yet. And it's time that we find ourselves in a place where we say, you know what? I'm not serving because I have to. I'm serving because I get to. God has changed my life. Listen, the father said to the son, everything I have is yours. You could have thrown a feast to your friends at any point. But you were too busy deciding, oh, no, if I look good enough, if I do all the right things, you miss out on the opportunities I gave you to celebrate. Look, your brother got one feast. You could have feasted every single day. You chose not to. That was your decision. And, man, some of us are sitting here with bitter spirits, with anger, with upset, when we're, we're, we're serving in roles because we feel like we have to. Listen, it's time that you serve because God changed your life and people need to know who he is. Man, we can't be a church that's all about doing, you know, oh man, we just do enough things and then, and then we get to go to heaven one day. No, that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be true elder brothers who are saying, my brother's lost in Vietnam. My brother's lost in, in downtown. My brother's lost in the cubicle sitting right next to me and there is nothing I won't do to bring him home with me. I'm going to be who God's called me to be. I'm going to step into what he has for me. I'm going to step in to being a true elder brother. I don't know where you're at today, and I don't know what journey you need to take or what steps you need to take, but listen, there is opportunity for you to begin serving God, not because you have to, but because you get to. So let's commit together to not being comfortable. Guess what? The older brother could have spent the rest of his life just working in the field, doing exactly what the father said, and he would have 
inherited his father's kingdom, his father's wealth one day. But that's not what we want to be. We want to say, I'm going to dare to be uncomfortable. I'm going to dare to not just be in proximity to God. I'm going to dare to go out and reach my little brother so that he can know what it means to be in relationship to the God who would do anything for me. So let's bow our heads today and pray. God, we just pray that you help us in this moment where we look at ourselves and we think, man, I have been self-righteous in some capacity, but today I want to be a true elder brother. I want to step into what it is you have for me, step into the next step in the journey, whether it be serving on, at the church or whether it be telling somebody about who God is or whether it be even deciding to be in relationship to God. Because I believe that there are some people here today who you have lived a decent life, but you haven't lived a life following God. And so today you're going to begin to Stop being in proximity, but begin being in relationship. So God, we just lift those people up. And for anyone who might be here today and they're trying to figure out and they're feeling like a younger brother where it's like, listen, I've lived life my way. I've done my own thing. God, I'm just believing that in this moment and in this church, there's people here who say, God, I did all the wrong things, but I want to come home. Is this a place where the elder brother he's describing is going to receive me with open arms or are they going to receive me with judgment and condemnation? God, I'm believing that right now we're receiving them with open and welcome arms into what it is you have for them, into a new life, free of an older brother looking down on them, but with an older brother embracing them saying, finally, you are home. God, let us be that church. Let us be those people. Let us be better than we are. Let us look at ourselves and say, I'm out of shape, but at least I know where I stand. And so I'm going to take a step forward. God, reveal in our hearts any unhealth or any brokenness and take us to a place where we can be your kids. We thank you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.